men's 11 right foot, children's 9 left foot. This is episode 16 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer, and we have a special guest for this episode. That's two in a row. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Maggie? My name is Maggie. I met Jess and Alex on Moonpunk, which was a fabulous Antifa tabletop RPG uh, we all made together about punks on the moon. They were super chill about letting me take the idea of fighting for rights and pivot it to non-human rights and let me go off on my animal rights shtick, which was great. Um, And I just got into a master's of science program through the University of Edinburgh for international animal welfare ethics and law. So I really like using my platforms to do stuff like that. I'm a writer on the Monster Prom series. I was one of two writers on the OG and I've now done the DLC and we're doing two sequels right now. Um, And I also write musicals a lot of the time and screenplays and I act sometimes and I coach figure skating. And I think that's, I think that's what I do. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those things are directly related to the movie we watched, (laughs) which is why I really wanted you on this episode. Oh boy, you guys. Um, I, I was just talking before we started recording about how much I enjoy working with you. So I say this from the bottom of my heart. I have never hated a movie more in my entire life. Like, oh. I am I am both so angry and so happy that I watched that movie. Because I just have, I have takes for days about it. And it was just, I feel like if I had to keep those feelings to myself, it would have been not as fun as watching it and jotting down notes and being like, oh man, I just, I have so much to say right now. So that's that's my starting place. That's my neutral beginning in this situation. That is totally valid. But you know, if we didn't ask you to watch this movie, you probably wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I did because here's, Here's the the thing is I remember talking to my friends at some point about how there are like a million Christmas movies out there, obvies, and like all the Jews get is a Rugrats episode and Eight Crazy Nights. So because of that, I always thought it was a children's movie. Um, and oh. when I rented it on Amazon and saw the summary, I was like, oh, this this isn't what I thought I was in for which is fine because like I love I love a good dark sarcastic cartoon I was like oh maybe this is going to be like some Bojack Horseman but make it Jewish and a musical vibes and then I was just like hugely disappointed in the best way yeah I I don't I'm not Jewish so I don't have a lot of experience with this but I didn't feel like this was a very Jewish movie it was not Jess that is (laughs) the correct take on this situation this is a podcast where we are watching all 60 adam sandler and adam sandler adjacent movies in a row for 60 days my sister asked me on the last episode whether or not we liked adam sandler and that's why we're doing it that's not the case uh we are just trying to figure out does adam sandler deserve the hate and really what's up with him yeah i i think that's a very noble mission 
<laughs> Today we watched Eight Crazy Nights. If you couldn't tell, yeah, already. we did. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you tell us your opinions, your history? Do you have any nostalgia? Do you currently like Adam Sandler? Yes. So here's the thing. The moment I learned that there is hate for Adam Sandler was mm, 30 seconds ago when you said that. Like, I just, I I had no awareness of Adam Sandler as a cultural icon, like what the feels were for him. Uh, when I looked him up on IMDb, because I was like, I don't know that I've ever seen an Adam Sandler movie other than 50 first dates and my my only recollection of that was I was 15 and in college which is a whole other thing but I was a psychology major <laughs> and I remember watching it and being like mm, yes retrograde versus anterograde amnesia those are things that were on my test hmm Wernicke's aphasia Broca's aphasia and like that's all I remember of that and I saw on IMDb, he had 77 films listed. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I I'm, I'm maybe have seen others of these. I saw Click at an outing at a summer camp, at also around the age of 15. And we all talked through it because it was a field trip at a summer camp. And I saw I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry also as a teenager with my friends. And we talked through that the whole time. So truly, truly, the only Adam Sandler movie that I have any recollection of, any relationship to, was Fifty First Dates and feeling smug about being a psychology major. <laughs> that is such a funny repertoire of Adam Sandler films is Fifty First Dates, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, and Click, and now Eight yep. Crazy Nights. So, you know, yep. Yep. it's very well-rounded. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was really coming into this more or less a blank slate. When I when I looked him up on Wikipedia, I was like, oh, I didn't know he was also like a singer and like a, a composer. And he I didn't even know he was a screenwriter. I was like, yes, hashtag goals. This is like, <laughs> this is what I do. I try and like do all the things. Oh my God. Like, I can't believe he's like a polymath and I'm about to watch this fabulous cartoon about Hanukkah <laughs> and it's a musical. I, I think that's probably part of why I hated it so much because I was so on board. I was ready to love it. And not even like in a, I built up my expectations about the quality of the film way, just in a, oh, it's a musical about Hanukkah. And it failed me on both counts. Like structurally, it was not a good musical. And thematically, it was not about Hanukkah. <laughs> Literally, it just it just failed me on the two basest levels that I was expecting it to come through on. Not even quality-wise, just generally content. Well, a Alex, uh, why don't you tell us about the sand layer and the critical reception of this movie before we dig into it? Yeah, so we have uh, my way of knowing how important this movie is to Adam Sandler's career. Um, and this one is a three-star Sandler film because he stars in it, he wrote it, and it was produced by his company. So it is important. Um, it's important to know this is an animated film. I think we mentioned it, but it's the first time he's done animation. But do you want to guess uh, what critics 
rated this movie? 25%. I I feel like I was so confused trying to get a holistic sense of Adam Sandler last night that I went on Rotten Tomatoes and looked stuff up, but I, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like it may have been single digits. It is 12%, oh, which is pretty uh... low. Okay, but again, for context, what did the animal get? The, the animal got a 30%. And there's no way... The animal's not three times better than this film. No. But the reception from the audience, they did give this movie a 49%. Oh my god. That's what I would have guessed. I would have guessed around 50% yeah, for the audience. Like, yeah. I, I'm in a weird place, personally, because we just watched Master of Disguise, which is the worst movie I've ever seen. Right. And it's so bad that I... I kind of, like, I wouldn't watch this movie again, and I don't think it was good, but it was as if I had been, like, rubbing sardines on my mouth and then finally was given, like, a bologna sandwich. Sure. And I'm like, oh, man, thank God it's not Master of Disguise. Yeah, the bar was set super low. Yeah. yeah. I might actually like every movie I ever watch in the future <laughs> because of how bad that one movie was. Yeah, at least this movie had a comprehensible plot you know, it, mm-hmm. it had a plot that went from beginning, middle, end. It had a character arc, and it had some themes that it did follow through on. Um, which is more than you can say about some of the other movies that exist out there in the world, and certainly more than you can say about Master of Disguise. Yeah. It is interesting that the themes that they said they were going to talk about by, like, making it a Hanukkah movie were not the ones no. <laughs> that they did. That was a very interesting. They were like three Hanukkah references in general in the movie anyway. <laughs> no, it, I, I, there, here's the thing. I, I have so many feelings about this movie as like an obnoxious social justice warrior, as a musical theater writer, as a Jew. Like I'm like, I'm recently single and I feel like everything I have to say right now is like what people should listen to and decide not to date me. Because like <laughs> every single thing is going to be so pedantic and so nitpicky and so annoying, but it's like coming from deep within my soul. And it's just how I feel. <laughs> Jess, do you want to recap the movie real quick so people can follow along? Sure. Wait, but quickly, before before we do that, can I just really quickly describe my emotional journey of certain beats and then do the plot? Because I feel like if we do oh, yeah. the plot first, it's going to ruin this. Yes, let's hear it. Go ahead. Okay, so this was me watching the movie so once again i'm hype i'm like hanukkah animation musicals these are my favorite things first thing that happens is a scene in a chinese restaurant (laughs) where it is mickey rooney breakfast at tiffany's level racism and i was like whatever asian actor had to like suck it up and do this voice and then i was like no i bet it's worse than that it is. No, it's, it's Rob Schneider. <laughs> it is Rob Schneider. Yes, you are correct. So I was like, okay, there we go. So then we go to a basketball game where there is fat phobia because they're teasing a guy for being fat. Uh, then we immediately seamlessly transition into some ableism, uh, making fun of a guy's seizure. Uh, then and later they even say easy seizure boy. 
then we we slip into some transphobia where they walk in on the fat boy trying on a bra and then he bursts into tears when he's seen in the bra which also again feels very fat phobic and it got to a point where I was like oh my god I can't believe I am halfway through this movie and they have already been racist fat phobic ableist and transphobic and then I looked and I was 13 minutes into the movie (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh no this has been the longest 13 minutes of my life like I know it's it's kind of old where like those kind of jokes of like haha it's a fat dude in a bra were like kind of okay but mm-hmm. like i i was shocked at how many intolerant jokes it ticked off within 15 minutes of starting off yeah we the, the weird thing is there's been movies where they pointed out stuff like this in a way that was not like super racist they've or like they had like a very decent homosexual couple in like big daddy in all fairness i didn't list homophobia in that list so oh there is later uh homophobic (laughs) remarks I'm, i'm just saying i'm not trying to defend them i'm saying they actually do know better and then sure. still did this yeah, yeah which is showing no no, no. my my quip was just that it was a yeah. long list but homophobia genuinely wasn't on it until the very end <laughs> when he says you'll go to jail and marry a big man which yeah. also feels like an implicit rape joke oh so, yeah yeah it is yeah right at right at the end they were like oh shoot we didn't have any homophobia or rape jokes but right just like how they packed most of it into the first 15 minutes in the last 15 minutes they (laughs) snuck that in just (laughs) under the bell so you know it was it was impressive yeah (laughs) anyway Jess do you want to do you want to tell us the uh, plot summary now that I explained my emotional journey through it that emotional journey was very similar to mine except I wasn't so hyped at the beginning yeah, that's fair. You knew better. Uh, Davy Stone, played by Adam Sandler, or voiced by Adam Sandler, is the town asshole, and he gets especially asshole-ish around Hanukkah. We see him at first in a Chinese res- restaurant, where, as Maggie said, an awful racist caricature of a Chinese waiter, played by Rob Schneider, accuses him of dining and dashing, and then the police chase him through the town. But, like, in their cars in a very snowy street, while he's, like, s- like snowboarding on a trash can lid through the city why are they doing that they know where he lives this is very dangerous yeah. there are people outside i also want to point out he was trying to drink and drive yeah to show how shitty a character he is oh and it had shown that he had did this before because he had um yeah scratches near his the... keyhole also there were reindeer which i know is a very small nitpick but i was i i did have questions about what the reindeer were doing uh in this city just frequently hanging out there yeah a whole herd of them yeah uh davy does a bunch of grinch like stuff in the town during the chase like wrapping people up in christmas lights and the chase ends where he has knocked over the ice sculpture of santa and a menorah and he gets arrested and his trial's the next day that's actually pretty fast for the judicial system in a in a small town during the holidays 
And the judge is going to send him to jail until Whitey, played by Adam Sandler, a small 70-year-old man and youth league basketball ref, says that he'll take Davey under his wing. And the judge says okay, but if Davey commits one more crime, he's going to go to jail for 10 years. Uh, the first day of roughing goes horribly. That's where we get that fat phobic joke at the beginning. Oh, and I actually say that right here. There are some pretty offensive fat phobic jokes in there and a very tasteless Caesar joke, seizure joke, which continues through the movie. Um, Whitey takes Davey to the mall where Whitey feels the best and points out like all the stores that make you feel good. And this is where we meet Jennifer and Benjamin Friedman, um, who are played by Jackie Sandler and Austin Stout. Turns out that Jennifer is Davy's old crush when he was a kid, but Davy's still a big asshole and nothing really happens between them and Davy, you know, he's just a jerk still. Going home from the mall, Davy admits he stole some peanut brittle and Whitey threatens to call the judge but changes his mind. And when Davy doesn't help him get his car unstuck from the snow, a herd of deer, that herd of reindeer, come and help him out like a Disney, Disney <laughs> princess. We also see that Davy's trailer, which is absolute garbage, um, like it's it's trash. He has like this tiny TV that barely gets uh, signal or reception and no heat because we can see his breath. But he does have a picture of his parents and an unopened card from them. We also see that Whitey does a lot of things around town and is treated like absolute garbage by everyone except for Jennifer and Benjamin. Uh, he's trying to earn the 35th annual All-Star Patch, which is like a good citizenship award uh, voted by the town and given during the All-Star Banquet. Then we get a scene where Whitey is babysitting Benjamin and tries to teach Davy and Benjamin the rules of basketball. And Davy is still being an ass. And when Whitey tells Benjamin that it's just because he can't play basketball anymore, Davy denies it and says he could still beat anyone. And he ends up proving this by taking a bet with the people who are playing basketball ends up playing with Whitey, and then Benjamin on his team, and he's actually very good, um, inexplicably still, and helps Benjamin play, and they win, uh, but Jennifer gets mad when she walks in and hears Benjamin trash talk. One of the basketball players that Davey beat burns down his trailer, and Davey only manages to save the card from his parents. He goes to stay with Eleanor, also voiced by Adam Sandler, and Whitey, who are brother and sister. And he learns to get along with them and is actually being nice for once. But when Whitey tells the story of what happened during the JCC Miracle Game when he was a kid, when Davey was a kid, um, during which Davey's parents died in a car crash, Davey takes out all his anger on them and is a shithead again and leaves. I, w I do want to point out, um, his parents die in a car crash that was not their fault. A truck goes through black ice and hits them head on. Yes. Um, but he hates Hanukkah. Yes, because it happened yeah, on, on the first night of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And he never cried it out. They, they show that he was completely, like, his method of grieving was just being a dick. Davy ends up breaking into the mall and, like, screaming for Jennifer. And all the mall mascots and logos come to life and tell him to cry it out and read the card from his parents. And he does. The card says some nice stuff like, never change. Like a... Okay, I have to admit, I did tear up at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did get a, a slight water in the eye. Nothing left, though. So that's a half point in the, the cry department. I feel, wow. I feel so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I, I liked... Here, here's the thing. That was the first song 
other than his introduction song that really served a purpose dramatically. And if this was a movie about a guy who had repressed his emotions and kept it inside and had to learn to cope with it and be free with his emotions, like, I feel like that moment truly would have hit me. The The song felt like a predecessor to Let It Go from Frozen. Like, oh, yeah. It was all about, you know, doing doing the thing. But I I felt like the setup, like, they, they didn't tee it up well enough for it to be a home run. And I don't sports, yeah. so I don't know if that's a mixed metaphor. But no, like... that you you got that one. Okay, um, the police come in um, after he reads the card, and they they find that he broke into the uh, mall, and they try to arrest him, but Davy gets away because the cops are bumbling idiots, like all cops are. Yeah, actually, in like every <laughs> Adam Sandler movie we watch, the cops are always just complete jerk offs. Sandler was living in the year three thousand. Well, no, Sandler was living in New York City, in the, <laughs> so he knows. For that. Yeah. Um, at the All-Star Banquet, Whitey doesn't get awarded the All-Star patch. Instead, it's Tom, Tom Baltazar, played by John Lovitz, a billionaire with a hook for an arm, who bought a digital scoreboard for Palmer Episcopal's basketball team. A generous gesture. Um, Whitey and Eleanor leave to go to the mall. And it's it's the middle of the night. It's closed, but whatever. And in the meantime, Davy, who had been on a Greyhound bus to skip town until a single thumbtack popped all eight back tires of the Greyhound bus on a, a Hanukkah miracle. Uh, Davy gets into the all-star banquet to tell everyone that they've been incredibly shitty to Whitey while he's always been super nice to them, no matter what. And they all feel bad. And they all come to see Whitey at the mall where he's praying like it's at a church. And... They award him the 35th All-Star patch, and the previous winners also give him their patches. And Eleanor threatens to dropkick Davy and Jennifer if they don't live happily ever after. Whitey has a seizure. The end. Beautifully, beautifully summarized, Jess. Thank you. Then they play his original Hanukkah song during the credits, which is the funniest song in the movie. Yeah, no, that's the thing. (laughs) Is, is I grew up with, I knew there's a title song which is called Eight Crazy Nights that talks mm-hmm. about Hanukkah. And that's not the song they played during the credits, but it is a single of his. And it is ca- kind of for kids. I mean, I don't know. I knew it as a kid. So again, I think I expected the movie to be in the spirit of that song. Yeah. Here, here's the thing is what I think happened in this movie. I'm pretty sure Adam Sandler wrote all these songs. And then I think Alan Covert wrote a movie to try to connect them. I don't think the movie and the songs were written together. I'm going to respectfully disagree because I feel I feel the opposite. It feels like a movie was written and then the songs were shoehorned in. Because a lot of the songs were so specific to characters, but the wrong characters. So specifically the song where Whitey and Eleanor are explaining the rules of their house Mm -hmm. is is not part of the movie thematically. And it isn't, it doesn't really reveal anything about their characters. When you're writing a musical... The, the rules of when a song happens are to move the plot 
to reveal the character or to deepen the understanding of the world. So like the first song when he's doing his, it's basically his I want song, like his his introduction, this is me, you know, this is who I am. And then like the song where uh, they're telling him to cry it out is a plot moment where mm-hmm. it's moving it forward. And then so many other moments, it was like, this is not the place for a song in terms of the emotional art. And and for me, in terms of the, can I get into the, uh, the Hanukkah aspect of it? Real quick, I just wanted to say, yeah. when you say that, the technical foul song, the the one about the rules of the house. Yeah, yeah. That that should have been when he was in foster homes, which they mentioned, right? Oh. That's where that song makes sense. Yeah, that's already an improvement for sure. Yeah, that that would make sense of like shitty foster parents yeah. kind of making his life and a and bad. a backstory that deepens our understanding of him. Because yeah. really, like, yes, technically it it illuminates character for Eleanor and Whitey, but not any more than them just saying for those two seconds, hey, you know, don't mess up our house. Like we we got it from that. So here's here is my hot Jewish take on this story. <laughs> um I I at the beginning, again, leaving my preconceived notions behind, once the movie started and it was like, oh, here he is on Hanukkah being a Grinch or a Scrooge. I was like, oh, cool. This is, you know, those two words are literally in our vernacular because they're multiple stories about people not understanding the spirit of Christmas that have since become iconic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, great, this is going to be the Jewish take on that. And in, to me, like the the inextricable point of these not understanding Christmas movies is people not appreciating and internalizing traditions that have been passed down for a long time and the morals and goodwill that go with it. So, you know, in in A Christmas Carol, you know, you, you think about the imagery and what it looks like and, you know, the way the ghosts of Christmas look Christmassy and it's all about Christmas past present and future with the uh you know tiny Tim story it's all about you know family and in general it's about generosity and sharing and giving people time off for the holiday so all of these things from my understanding of the Goyim uh is like what Christmas is about And similarly with the Grinch, he's stealing presents. He's mad at Christmas trees. Again, it's these iconic symbols of Christmas. And then he realizes that they're singing Christmas carols and all this stuff, even without the presents. And once again, he realizes that it's about the spirit of community and this and that. So Mm -hmm. for me, Hanukkah, uh, for those... For those who don't know, Hanukkah is the festival of lights, and there are eight nights, crazy or not. <laughs> These nights were not crazy. I've I've had crazier nights just trying to obey the curfew uh, this week. Um, but so so the the spirit of Hanukkah is it is a story about but uh, so it's Maccabees. They're fighting people. They only have enough oil for one light. 
wonder of wonder miracles miracles it burns for eight days and you know there, there's an old quip that most jewish holidays are they tried to kill us we survived let's eat so hanukkah is is part of that noble tradition of keeping traditions alive uh and those are often suppressed because of either you know trying to integrate and assimilate into new cultures after being driven out by you know various anti-semitic stuff or like you know just full out no marking genocide uh so a lot of jewish traditions have been lost over the years and so holidays like hanukkah are about keeping these teachings alive and mm -hmm. passing them down generation to generation so if here's 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 my this movie keep him an alcoholic keep him this that and the other thing make it that hanukkah traditions are unbearable for him because that was what was so special to him and his parents um other than jennifer we really don't see a lot of jews in this town and we'll we'll get into that in a second yeah but so yeah if this is part of his heritage and he lives in a town of non-jews and his connection to his parents was this special holiday where they had traditions together. And once they are gone, those traditions in his mind are only associated with his parents. And so he's like, nope, no more Hanukkah, no more menorah every night, no more dreidels, no more gelt. It's everything's canceled. Hanukkah's canceled. And then as he goes on this adventure, the same way that every learning about Christmas story is about learning about Christmas, he realizes that Hanukkah is about keeping the traditions of your ancestors alive. And by repressing the memories of his parents, he is compartmentalizing and not dealing with this grief. And he needs to confront the grief. And this is where Cry It Out would be more powerful and use these traditions to keep the memory of not only his ancestors alive, but his parents. And to take this holistic concept of a holiday that is about keeping ancestors' traditions alive and take it in microcosm and make it about keeping the memory of his parents alive. And then it would end with him lighting the Hanukkah candles with Benjamin and teaching him how to play dreidel and teaching him how to read the Hebrew on the dreidel. And in doing that, he is coming to accept the fact that even though he's lost his parents, part of them will always be with him. So that's a, that's my version of this movie. And we didn't, we didn't see dreidel, we didn't get the Hebrew, we saw menorahs briefly, but we didn't get the lighting of the menorahs. And again, all the Christmas movies, you get some sweet Christmas carols. So I wanted like klezmer music, you know, like I love Jewish music and a lot of people aren't familiar with it. And I feel like we got that klezmer sound hilariously enough, like in the last song where he's convincing people to give Whitey the patch, which yeah. makes no sense to me as to why that is when the Jew music kicks in. But yeah, I would have the, the same way that all the learning the spirit of Christmas movies are about the spirit of Christmas. This felt like it could have been any day of the week. It could have been 
any holiday that his parents died on. It could have been, you know, the 4th of July, and now he doesn't want to celebrate the 4th of July. You know, like it had nothing to do with that. And what's so weird is the biggest, you know, you were saying there's an arc, there are themes, there's character development, and all of that's true. But so much of it is centered on Whitey, who is not Jewish, has nothing to do with Hanukkah. Like, this is just not a movie about Hanukkah. It's it's a movie about this yeah. basketball coach. And I have a theory about that. Um, an animated film takes so many people in so many different studios. Happy Madison Productions is not an animation studio. And I looked up, what, like, all the production companies that were involved in this. So I'm going to read this. It was the Iron Giant people, I can tell. Yeah, it was. But I'm going to read... Um, like straight off from the Wikipedia here, the section on production. And I think it does give us a little bit of insight here. Oh, I'm excited. The film was animated by Anvil Studios, a film, a slash S Bardell entertainment, golden bell animation, Marina motion animation, Spaff animation, Tama production, time-lapse <laughs> p- pictures, Warner bros animation, YR studio and Yowza animation. So I think that this film if you wanted to make a film that was about a Jewish holiday, you have to realize that the film is going to be really for a target audience of of Jews. But if you're having focus groups and you have this wide amount of, of studios working on something and they're, and they're showing it to a bunch of people and they're making changes throughout, people who are in focus groups, are they're probably going to be majority non-Jewish and they're going to not like that stuff. And they're... And then the production, the producers, they're all going to start making changes. And then you're left with this. Yeah. Is that what happened? Maybe not. It could have been a movie that should have had five dozen more rewrites. And this was like a second draft. (laughs) I don't know. But it seems like there were way too many hands on this movie. And it just like stripped it of everything other than making it what was basically a Christmas movie again. Yeah. Yeah. I... I have a theory about this movie and it's that Whitey and Davy are the same person. <laughs> um, and they're both Adam Sandler. And this entire thing is Adam Sandler trying to get over some very deep felt feelings about how he's not good because both these player people have two sides of who Adam Sandler is. He's seen a lot as a, a Jewish man who's not well liked. Um, the movies he made before this were people making fun of him. Um, he's gross and bad and Davy. Um, and then what he does is supports his friends to make movies. This is the whitey side. He is a commercial success. I mean, he's doing these shitty odd jobs for people throughout the thing. Yeah. But people still shit on him. And then Whitey prays at the center of capitalism for more money in order to get things done, basically. Yeah. And they don't even ask. I, I like the fact that they don't ask any of these brands if they can be in the movie because it makes me seem, in my mind, like like this whole thing is him saying, like, I I am going to make a lot of money because either way I'm going to get kind of shit on, like, literally and metaphorically in this. And I don't think it makes it a good movie, but it is interesting to think of Adam Sandler writing this movie about his own experiences and being like, I, I was a shitty alcoholic at one point and everyone hated me for that. Um, I think the theme of addiction is huge in this, as it has been in several of his movies. And it really shows, in my mind, the like idea 
that he didn't make an alcoholic character who's likable or like who is actually has like a heart of gold in the beginning. Mm -hmm. He's just a shitty person. He never he never really reconciles his alcoholism. Like we really Mm -hmm. never that gets dropped. It's kind of a he's good now, but we don't. It, from it, or I didn't notice that we never really see him struggle to quit drinking or make an effort to quit drinking. It's just kind of he's a bad person, and you can tell because he's drunk driving, and then he's a good person. So we're not gonna talk about alcohol anymore. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm still like the ending was too shoehorned in. I wish they had changed it. Cause I'm like, he shouldn't have gone with the girl. Of course, yeah. he should have gone to jail. And then he should have had to go to rehab. If yeah. the movie had a scene at the end where it's a year later and he's like out on parole teaching the local basketball team with Benjamin as one of his students, it could have been an okay movie. Also want to interject really quickly that when you said that was all like super deep and I was into it as like a psychological analysis. When you said your theory was that uh, Davy and Whitey are both Adam Sandler. I thought we were moving into a time travel theory, and I'm <laughs> so excited. I was like, I cannot wait to hear how this plays out. Um, but then it was just a really introspective uh, character study about Adam Sandler as a person. But like, what if Whitey is Davy from the future, you guys? <laughs> and he had a terrible teleportation accident that gave him a big foot and a little foot a thousand percent and so short then what explains his conversion to i guess christianity well i mean clearly as as we said he he has no relationship to hanukkah in this movie yeah other than it's just and you know it's interesting jess because what you were saying about like the studios getting involved and whatever my my guess is I cannot cannot confirm obviously, but like th- this doesn't seem like changes that were made in post. You know, yeah. the songs and the arc and everything centers on Whitey, and it's interesting what you said, and I agree about the idea of a Hanukkah movie would be for a fringe group in a way that, as I said, like growing up, we watched a million Christmas movies because that's what we have. And I I think we're moving into an interesting time with like crazy rich Asians, which would have otherwise been considered a quote unquote Asian movie, like breaking into the mainstream and kind of these projects that would have otherwise been seen as, oh, that's just for that minority now being for everyone rather than straight white people is the movies for everyone and then anything else is for who those people are you know it, in in my mind adam sandler could have very easily sat down and gone i'm gonna write a hanukkah movie but all the leads are christian so it's safe because my mm-hmm. first writing job uh that i was like paid a lot of money for i mean not a lot but i mean like my first like here's money job was uh, when I was 23 years old, I think, and I had just moved to New York, uh, I was commissioned to write a musical about the Holocaust um, that was going to tour high schools and libraries uh, in the tri-state area. And it, it was for a company that no longer exists, but it was 
an incredible experience. I met my best, best friend on it. Um, but she was playing because she is she has now played a Nazi three times. Oh my gosh. She was cast as a Nazi in my place. Sweetest girl on the world in the world, but blonde hair, blue eyed, just doing her best. But um I so I voluntarily, with uh no no peer pressure, centered this story on a girl who is in the you know Hitler Youth adjacent organization because you had to be who has a Jewish friend and together they get involved in a revolutionary group and she rejects her brother who's like a full out no marking Nazi and this this group is mostly Christians who are, are standing up against this with some Jews because my logic was also in that world of kids don't understand or want to understand Judaism necessarily. But if I give them Christian characters to relate to and follow, then they can get hooked in on it. And then after I had written it, at some point, they said, oh, now we want it to maybe tour synagogues instead. And I remember being a little frustrated with it. Um, and I wrote them back and I was like, listen, if I knew it was for Jewish schools and synagogues specifically, I would have centered it on the Jewish character. Like, I don't want to send a show into synagogues that is saying your story is only valid if it's through the lens of the blonde blue eyed girl, you mm -hmm. know, like that was my strategy for hooking in people who weren't used to Jewish stories, but that's not the message that I want to send to Jewish kids. Um, and it's interesting because now as an old woman turning 30 soon, um, <laughs> I think from the beginning, I probably would have said, you know, hey, this is my outline and it's about this Jewish girl. Um, and again, no one told me to do that. That was just my own internalized concept right. of how much Jewishness people are willing to watch. And if you think mm -hmm. about most of the, not maybe most, but but if you asked me to name the two most iconic Holocaust movies I could think of, I would say Schindler's List and Sophie's Choice. And both of those are centered on non-Jews mm -hmm. and their role in the Holocaust. So yeah, that's, that is my second hot take as a Jew. <laughs> what you said reminded me of something from the very first movie we watched, Going Overboard. And in that movie, uh, Adam Sandler plays a guy who wants to be a stand-up comedian. And his name is Shecky in this movie. And when Shecky is up on stage and he bombs the first time, he learns from another comedian that he has to understand his audience. And that he, like, if he's telling jokes to a cruise ship full of beautiful women, he needs to tell these kinds of jokes. The jokes that he is told to tell are not good. Like, mm -hmm. the jokes he wasn't telling before, the jokes he was telling before weren't good, too. But the very first movie shows Adam Sandler's character adjusting his art for an audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, none of the movies I've seen with Adam Sandler in them are very Jewish at all. Yeah. Except for Uncut Gems. That would be, like, the only one that I've seen where it actually centers on a Jewish family. And has like, well, it has like a cedar 
dinner and like they show that that that's like really what it. what babe sorry what what dinner do they have c- c- <laughs> cedar is that what it was cedar are, are you sure it's not like pine or elm it's it's cedar <laughs> How do you pronounce Sater? Sater, thank you. Sater. Sater. I am I am dead over Cedar. That is <laughs> that is my new favorite thing. <laughs> well now I so know. <laughs> now you know. See, we're all learning and growing. I don't think it would have been nearly as funny to me if you hadn't if it didn't happen to be like the name of a wood, but that like, <laughs> the idea of like the the Hunger Games uh gif of like that is mahogany just like <laughs> popped into my head, and I just picture a Jewish family sitting down for Friday night dinner and being like that is cedar. So, <laughs> I should I have known it. better because I've definitely heard that out loud way more than I've seen it written down. Yeah. Okay. As I said, I just learned how to pronounce Antifa last night. So <laughs> no judgment, just enjoyment. One one thing I do want to point out, um, because I'm now, I think, the greatest Adam Sandler historian in the world. Yeah. Sandler was very popular on SNL for his singing, and specifically when he sang the Hanukkah song, the original version, when he was like 27, 28. So I think he was thought of in his early career as very Jewish. Yeah. Because he was known as like a Jewish cast member of SNL. And it seems like for a long time, that was a very core aspect of what people saw of him. And in my childhood, I didn't, I didn't think that (laughs) because I, I didn't watch this movie when I was a kid. Um, But like most of the movies I did watch of his didn't involve him being Jewish in any form. In fact, I think I can specifically remember him celebrating Christmas in several movies. Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying like he became older and rich and then stopped being Jewish <laughs> um, because like I know his wife converted to Judaism and stuff like that. But at the same time, like it. I think no one wants to be pigeonholed, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like e- everyone wants to branch out and and not be thought of as like oh it's the blank person you know you just Mm want to be the writer or the actress or whatever not the jewish writer the jewish actress um so yeah again and and as i said i feel like truly in in recent recent years we have just now begun to explore the idea that movies featuring minorities are not just for minorities um yeah. and i don't i don't think that was a conversation back then we should definitely do that more often too i mean as you can tell by my mispronunciation of Seder, like i feel like i i try to explore other cultures a lot i i know like jack about judaism um because one of the only holidays that we're ever taught about in school like one of the only jewish holidays is hanukkah and that feels like the most christian friendly holiday because it's yeah. it's it's right around christmas it's the jewish christmas that's it's not tr- it's not what that is though yeah. um but that's you no, know that's what a lot of i'm not christian but that's what like a lot of people are taught basically sure and and you probably don't know this part of it hanukkah is not a big deal for the yeah. jews yeah i do in know terms that of religion yeah they once 
Christmas started being super commercialized, they were like, oh no, Jewish kids feel left out. Here, have some freaking eight presents. You did it. <laughs> um, but I, I would also, you know, like to say in terms of uh, your experience of Jewishness, my family is like a hundred percent, both sides, four grandparents, eight great grandparents, Jewish. They are also from Texas. So their experience of Judaism is very much like, oh, we're not going to do this so much because of the KKK and stuff. Mm, so mm -hmm. my mom is absolutely as likely to pronounce Seder Cedar as you are. Like we, <laughs> we did not do any of that. Like we didn't have Shabbat. There were some holidays that we did with our neighbors. Both my parents are atheists. They raised me saying, we personally don't believe in God, but a lot of other people do. Um, I got super into the Holocaust as a kid. Uh, not in like a pro-Holocaust, but <laughs> very yeah. fascinated by it. Of course, My yes. next door neighbors, Bubby and Zadie, were both Auschwitz survivors. So they, they had the tattoos on their forearms and we talked about it. And uh, also I was just jealous of my friend who went to Hebrew school and could read backwards. And I was like, hey, I want to learn to read backwards. Uh, so, you know, whereas all the other kids I knew were being dragged to church or dragged to Hebrew school, kicking and screaming, my atheist parents were like, uh, okay, well, we'll drive you to Hebrew school if you want. So I, I went to Hebrew school for a little, then there was a JCC shooting, um, anti-Semitic shooting when I was around eight or nine years old. And my mom yoinked me out of Hebrew school oh super quick. Cause she was like, you are not going to die over something we don't believe in. Uh, and then eventually I found a private Hebrew school, uh, tutor. And so I, I was prepping for my bat mitzvah and really got to a place where I was like, yeah, you know, my parents called it. Like, I really don't believe in this stuff. And I kind of just wanted a big party with presents and attention and money and this, that, and the other thing. But since I don't believe in it, I'm I'm going to recuse myself from this and not have a bat mitzvah, which was a dumb choice. And I am <laughs> so mad at my 12-year-old self for being that moral because I should have gone for it, taken everyone for all I could and ran. But um, so that's that is my Jewishness. I'm I'm a member of an incredible group called Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. Um, that got me put on a list earlier this year of Jews who hate white people, uh, which was oh fun because I was there with both some of my climate activist heroes and musical theater writers. And I was like, wow, like I always wanted to have a connection to these two groups of people. And, and here it is. But um, yeah, so I, I know a lot about Judaism in a way that my parents don't in a way that my sister super doesn't. Uh, her nickname for her boyfriend is Bubby. And it it makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, no. I grew up with my grandmother figure being called Bubby. So every time she says that, I hear grandma. Uh -huh. But you know, she she just has she has no relation to the identity. Um my my play I was talking about uh, that I wrote for that children's theater company actually got me a scholarship to go to Poland 
and uh, tour some of the concentration camps uh, with a survivor of the Dr. Mengele experiments, oh, who I don't know if you know yeah. who he is. Yeah. yeah. She's a very fascinating dude. She she was a very lovely woman. Um, it was like 40 people, and I was one of the only Jews on that trip. And I, I definitely had a very different experience there than anyone else, I think, um, mm-hmm. because I had a couple people who I'd gotten close with, like, want to take selfies with me at various points just to, like, remember our trip together. But it would be, like, while we were at Klasov or Auschwitz-Birkenau. <laughs> and I had to be like, no. And yeah. I was in the, the, there's a big book of names. Um and obviously, my last name is Herskowitz, which is super Jewish. My mom's last name is Hecht. In in this book of names, there there was a Magda Herskowitz. There was a Bela Herskowitz, which is my sister's name. Basically, her name's Bailey. Um, my cousins are Max and Leah Herskowitz. Literally, multiple of those in the books. And I was oh sobbing. God. And this girl hugged me and she was like, Shh, it's okay, it's okay. And I literally broke out of her arms. And I was like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> Um, and that's my feeling about this Adam Sandler movie. I told you I was going to ramble. Um, but point, that all came off of, you know, you not knowing much about Jewishness or Judaism. And uh, I also grew up not really knowing about it until I was about, you know, eight or nine. And my parents were very supportive of me learning about it. But it is, it's really not part of their lives uh, to a big degree. We're, we're very culturally Jewish. Um, anyone who hasn't seen the TV show Dave on FX and would like to know about Jewish mothers, my mom plays Dave's mom and she is the most iconic Jewish mother. She's she is playing <laughs> herself. So it's a lot of wanting to feed everyone. The, the, one of her favorite phrases is, I'm cold, put a sweater on. You know, it doesn't really matter if you're cold. She, she's cold. She needs to make sure you're warm. Um, we, we use Yiddish in my family. There's a lot of Jewish jokes. But um, yeah, that's, that's it's, it's interesting because there's, there's cultural Judaism and then religious Judaism. And mm-hmm. I never knew how culturally Jewish we were because I thought of us as like the, the not Jews compared to a lot of the families who lived around us or who were our friends. And then I got to New York and my friends had to ask me like what Mishigas meant or what chutzpah meant or what Suris meant. And I was like, oh, are we Jewish? I'm like, <laughs> never realized that my family was Jewish, but here we are. You know, that is why I, I'm I'm really disappointed now. I'm extra disappointed that this movie isn't really a Hanukkah movie because yeah, you, you said that it, it should have been like about carrying on traditions. It's it's so sad to me that anti-Semitism prevented your family from really being in touch with with that. I think it's so important to be connected to your your cultural heritage, if not, like, you know, your religious heritage. Yeah. But this movie could have been something very interesting and something very educational and something very special, even with the crude jokes. I mean, the crude jokes are one thing. You could even... I don't think you should have the the homophobic, the the racist, the everything jokes in here, but... What you meant though, like like a sardonic mm-hmm. right. dark humor. 
yeah, yeah, you could have all that and still have that movie, and and you know it could be something that could teach other people about this too, and not just like it could teach everybody a little bit more about this. We do need more yeah. movies, like you said, starring co- cultural minorities and and showing that they're they're not just for it's not just for Asians, it's not just for Black people, it's not just for Jews. It's something that everyone can enjoy and learn from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. thousand percent also i just want to jump in i i forgot one of the things that made me hate this movie more than <laughs> i already hated it um i am so sensitive to scatological humor oh my and god there was so much of it in this movie i have turned down <laughs> i think four monster prom prompts for, for people who don't know it monster prom is a very modular dating sim so Everyone takes turns, it's a multiplayer, and you are presented with a situation and make choices. And there have been four different prompts my boss has sent me where it's like, you have to find a place to poop in the woods or you have to catch ostrich poops. And I was like, nope, not mine. Someone pick, draw straws, other writers. So again, it it was just hitting all my least faves. If, If there was animal abuse in it, like it would have been like truly bingo for me yeah. in terms yeah. of least faves watch out for uh the tv show avatar that kid just loves beating animals <laughs> i love avatar <laughs> how the dare kid, you it's so have good. you noticed how so often good. he abuses animals the, well, I, you know all the time you know i i don't yeah. really have a great comeback no that, that's that. mostly a joke I make constantly because he's always using animals to fix problems, but it's never in a great way. Yeah, but uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, I, yeah, first first thing he says when he gets out of the ice is, "Let's go penguin sledding." And yeah, I, I don't know how the penguins feel about that. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't seem super psyched. Yeah, that's, but, uh, that's why I'm getting a master's of science so that I can have a take on how we should use animals and. I, I think now my dissertation is going to have to be about Aang's use of animals in Avatar The Last Airbender and whether it is a good or bad example. So. <laughs> yeah. Where, do you just want to talk about if Whitey is a Disney princess? Because I guess that's the closest things to the deers eating poop. <laughs> you, no, I mean, this this conversation went such a different way. Um, than mm-hmm. I could have ever taken it, and I have a lot more insight into this into this movie now. Well, I just have a lot more insight to everything right now, but um, <laughs> especially for this movie and and seeing how how big of a disappointment it is, and it's it's definitely you know <laughs> like everything that's going on with it, with like like you said the scatological humor and and the crude jokes. You, you could have just made some changes, and it would have been good, but. Um, Alex, I, I did just want to mention, you say that every character, every Adam Sandler movie is about a Superman of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be Davy, it might be Whitey. What do you think? Is is Who's the Superman in this movie? This feels like such a trite topic compared to what we've in, just been talking opinion, about. Still, they are the same character. And they if you combine them, they become one normal adam sandler character someone who's really good at a sport and also trying to help everyone if you take whitey's personality and put it in davy's body it is uh happy gilmore like he's a extreme sports person 
not like he does snowboarding or anything. <laughs> well, he does, like, though. He's extremely, yeah, actually, he does. He's really good at basketball, but also he's trying to help everyone in town and is extremely selfless. I still think it's it's kind of a split of uh, the different personality types and the different types. I think it's time travel. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think they represent that by... I'm I'm choosing to take the fact that Whitey has eleven a men's eleven right foot and a children's nine left foot as the fact that uh, they're two separate people. But at the same time, I am kind of trying to stretch it so that I, there is some kind of quality in this movie. Well, th- there are some interesting things, like you said, with with the police. Um, mm-hmm. The police are not portrayed. I, I don't think that they they shouldn't have let Davy go for trying to drunk drive that's way more dangerous than dining and dashing at a restaurant and then they do dangerous things trying to chase him down and they don't do anything about his trailer burning down yeah i was gonna say when doyle burns down his trailer they don't do anything about it yet they you know worry about him breaking into a mall and doing nothing the most realistic part of the movie yeah oh plus by the way the mall was open anyway they always left the the doors open and no one is um, mad at Whitey for being in there. But they also show that, you know, this kid, he wasn't taken care of after his parents died. He went to reform school. He was in the foster care system. He's been in the drunk tank. He's been in the local psych ward. He, he was not getting the care that he actually needed at the time that he needed it. And mm. that is what kind of created this, like big asshole that he is in the movie, but they put all the blame on him for not being able to deal with his emotions. There's only one line where Whitey says, like any 12 year old would have handled it terribly. Like what, what do you expect? But they, they never show anyone reaching out. Yeah. I, I feel that that's why I liked the, the musical scene later is when I was 11. That's the movie for me. Yeah, I would say when I was 11, my dad died. And if I had continued on without a, like more family, I already was pretty angry as a teenager and thought I was handling things well, but was just like a pretty big piece of shit for a lot of years. And very like, I'm already argumentative. I was way worse back then. And I think if if I had lost my entire family and was you know in foster care and stuff, yeah. You you would have seen me much closer to Davy than what I am now. And I think that part really struck pretty true. I mean, like, I I was drinking with friends at the age 15. I don't necessarily think it was that bad. But I do have friends who have struggled with addiction due to that. And I've seen a lot of addiction because I ran a bar for a number of years. And I see the fact that, like, there are parts of this that are really striking true. The, like the the tragic accent as a child kind of emotionally stunting people there's the addiction turning people into versions of their worst self but then they don't they don't do anything with it like one of the things that's come from like my dad dying when i was young is that i i get extremely protective over children in rough situations and like instead of him I mean, maybe they could have just had Benjamin's dad die instead of leaving them. But like, instead of him being overly protective, which is a like response you would see, I think Mm -hmm. he kind of only kind of cares about the kid, but not really. And, you know, doesn't even see him as himself because he's not good at basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that would have been very interesting if he saw the child as a surrogate 
you know, they, I have friends who uh, have had, you know, difficult childhoods or one of my friends whose dad passed away and they read self-help books that talk about like reparenting, you know, like parenting yourself um, and, and giving yourself everything that you missed out on with parents not giving that to you. And it could have been very interesting to see Davey take on that support role for Benjamin, seeing himself in it. I think everything you said totally tracks. Yeah, which really is a bummer that the movie just did not do any of that. Oh, and, well. and that it would have taken us about, you know, this hour to write a much better movie. Yeah, we wrote a great movie here today, you guys. Also, speaking of the mall, this is just something we didn't touch on, and I feel the need to. There is a floating sexy dress voiced by Tyra Banks. I actually noticed the voice and knew it was Tyra Banks in the movie. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know why they had her though. It's weird. I thought I'd throw that in there just because it just it just seemed like the kind of thing we should we should mention just for the sheer what the fuckery well, of it. That's that's how they had to get their misogynistic jokes in. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they didn't have that. Well, never mind, they already did. Well, you know, but, it's uh, interesting because one of the things I wrote down, but I was like, the, there was there was so much going on that I didn't squeeze it in. The the one joke that for me was explicitly misogynistic was when he's sh- talking about, you know, there's the sugar-free diabetes jokes, which are already oh, not yeah. great. And then he says her butt isn't sugar-free, but it didn't, haha, no pun intended, it it didn't bother me because Whitey instantly calls him out on it mm-hmm. and the joke is an example of like, oh, he's a jerk and he's not respecting this woman. And I felt like that was the only shitty joke that was from the perspective of like, oh, he's an asshole. Like kind of, you know, the always sunny yeah. in Philadelphia thing where they say yeah. shitty things, but it's because these people are such jerks. Whereas yeah. it felt like the fat phobic stuff and the ableist stuff and the transphobic stuff weren't like, oh, look at him being a jerk. It was like, oh, look how funny it is if a guy is in a bra or a guy is fat or both. Yeah. The real bummer part about that is not only does it, when Davey makes the jokes, there's there's a tiny bit of you that could be like, well, it's this asshole making the jokes. But then they like follow up it on it in a random scene to make you know that like they're like, yeah, no, this is a joke and we're making fun of these people. Yeah. And you're just like, come on, you just don't add that scene in and you you get like a second of of me being like, well, maybe they don't. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, they really make sure that you don't have any uh, ability to defend their shitty jokes. Yeah. In this movie. It's, it's very clear that it is not Davy's perspective. It is the movie's perspective. Yeah. That's one of the problems with these Adam Sandler movies that I've seen. Although we do, we've seen movies where they are good about this. We've seen movies where mm-hmm. characters are called out on their shittiness. We know that they have it in them, which makes it all the more disappointing. So that's one problem. And the other problem is that they just don't follow through on the themes that they set up at the beginning of movies. I, I feel like so many of these movies, with a couple exceptions, could have done better with a couple more rounds of rewrites to make it more consistent and, and just follow through on some of the, the the actually interesting things that they set up at the beginning. Do we think that the whole thing of uh, Whitey praying at the mall is a jab at the commercialism of Christmas? 
100% because the only Christmas symbol we ever see are all of, like the really gaudy lights and Santa, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, if we're talking about the true meaning of Christmas, uh, it's it's not that, but it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a take because that was the point at which I like had my mouth hovering to just see how long was left in the movie every minute (laughs) so like at that point I was just really excited for it to be over soon but if if that was an intentional you know jab at capitalism you know I'm all in on that so I I hope you're right in that take but they just they didn't follow through they've been anti-capitalist in a lot of movies so I'll, I'll hope for that um do we think there's any symbolism in the fact that one of the main characters is named Whitey no. No. You know, I I'm just so exhausted by this whole movie. Um I, you know, Jews have a complicated relationship to whiteness because we were historically and in many countries still considered not white, mm-hmm. but we now in America benefit from white privilege. So at the beginning, I was like, "Huh, is this a statement about like he lives in a small town. He's one of the only Jews. Like, there's a different standard for whiteness compared to the non-Jewish population. And then I was like, maybe this dude's name is just Whitey. I don't know. Like, it didn't, <laughs> didn't. It it felt like it could have been thematic, and then it wasn't. So yeah. I. Yeah. Again, I I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking on on so many levels. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of issue trying to suss out what you mean when you make just an incoherent kind of uh, thematic story. Oh, but you know what? I I wrote down one positive thing that I would I would like to share. So my my one positive because we didn't there, there's just not enough time to get into my feelings as a lyricist like we didn't <laughs> we didn't even touch on that uh, and I think that's that's fine I think that would be a separate podcast but I will say the the one lyric that I really appreciated was he described himself as snowmobile stealing no tis the season feeling and I thought that was lovely. I thought that was a great minute <laughs> rhyme. I thought it was funny and coherent and it scanned correctly on the music. So I wrote it down. So that's, that was the good part of the movie for me. <laughs> the, the one good part. Yeah. So weird, weird stuff about the man loving malls. The lyrics were sometimes okay. Oh yeah. I forgot about that poem about the mall too. That was weird. Yeah. But again, that was about the commercialism and, and hallmarky yeah. nature of of christmas the holidays um another thing is yes i noticed uh the character names end in an ey still every adam sandler character still does i don't know why yet other than it's diminutive that's that's what i think it is i did like that everyone goes absolutely insane at the mayor's joke yeah because he's in a position of power and then they say that they they don't even know why it's funny It's just that he's a powerful person, so they, like, laugh for him. Only the two Jewish characters don't laugh in that, by the way. Yeah. That that was fun. I liked that. And then they give the award to a billionaire. Yeah. Alex, do you want to explain why you chose the quote at the beginning? Yeah, the the men's 11 right foot, children's 9 left foot. Um, One, there's no quotes in this movie that are funny, so I picked one (laughs) that might mean something. And this is about Whitey's feet, and I thought... 
the biggest symbolism I got out of this movie was the fact that they seem to be two halves of a character and this was supposed to show that off. Um, but it might have been an ableist joke. And the fact that I can't tell which of them it's supposed to be is a good show that this movie was pretty bad. <laughs> well, such an insightful take. I love it. Yeah. What are we watching next week or tomorrow, Alex? God, you wish it was next week. I do. I say next week every time. And I always remember, no, I'm probably going to watch it tonight. We are watching The Hot Chick starring Rob Schneider. Wonderful. Boy. Me, dude. Oh, this is like bottom five movie I think we're going to have to watch. Maggie, do you have anything that you, you want to plug? I am, I am working ongoing on a project called Witch of the Wilderness, which is my new game studio that I founded that's supposed to be like intersectional feminism and it's body positive and we have characters of all shapes and sizes um, and the game will ultimately raise awareness of and funds for climate justice organizations. Um, and I am excited about it. It sounds very uh, intellectual and boring, but it's about witches and there's magic and it's dating sim, so it's sexy. So I promise it's gonna be fun. Um, I thought it was gonna be on Kickstarter last year. So I, I don't know when that's gonna be a thing, but if you wanna follow along, on our journey, uh, Twitter, it is at Witch Wilderness or www.witchofthewilderness.com. Uh, if you live in Oregon, I have a musical going up there in October, Loch Lomond at the Broadway Rose. Yeah, I think those are the two most eminent things. Awesome. Oh, yeah. And your Twitter is at Maggie Julian. It is. It's Maggie underscore Julienne, J-U-L-I-E-N-N-E, because we are historically French Jews uh, via Texas. So, you know. Well, you can find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter, and you can also find our games at wannabegames.com. We do have a, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabegames, but I recommend um, for you know, the next foreseeable future, just donating all of your money to the Bail Project or to other programs that support uh, racial justice and equality. I'm supporting the protesters of the Black Lives Matter movement. And just, just say the money from Adam Sandler. Yeah, say the money <laughs> from Adam Sandler. And uh, de depending on when this comes out and what's happening, I've been doing some Monster Prom fan fictions in return for donations to uh, the causes that just just mentioned so if you're a monster prom fan hit me up uh for those and for a good cause <laughs> and you can find me on twitter at, at joska i'm at kitty crusade please take my wife <laughs> <laughs>